turn to page 9 of your bulletin. You'll see our passage of Scripture for this morning. Uh, As I mentioned, we're starting a new series this morning uh, for Advent, um, the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Again, Advent is a word that simply means coming or arrival. And the way we think about it as a church historically is that it's, uh, like I said before, it's living in this tension of the fact that Jesus has already come. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. And he will come again. It's the anticipation of his second coming. And so we live um, in the darkness of our sin, still in a broken world, yet with the light of the world promising to come again and make all things new. So that's the tension that we feel uh, during this time of Advent. And um, we're going to consider together for these four weeks uh, why we need Christmas. Uh, That is, why did we need Jesus, the eternal Son of God, to come and take on flesh and live and dwell among us? And our text this morning is from Genesis chapter 3, and it answers maybe one of the most important questions that uh, any of us have asked at some point. Uh, Why is life so hard? Regardless of your beliefs, regardless of your questions, your background, Uh, We have all wrestled with this question in some form. How do you answer that question? Why is life so hard? Uh, Coming off a holiday week spent with others. uh, Why is it that sometimes relating to family and extended family can be so difficult? Uh, Why am I so lonely? Uh, Why do I feel so discontent even when things are going really well in my life? Uh, Why do we have to deal with sickness and failing bodies? Um, Why does death happen? And why is it so tragically sad when it does happen? Uh, Why is marriage difficult? Why is there war? Why is there racism? Uh, Why is there such intense political polarization and disagreement? Uh, Why do we keep hearing about tragic cases of abuse? Why do we battle depression, anxiety, panic attacks, mental health issues, suicidal thoughts? Uh, Why are people clicky and exclusive? Uh, Why is our lust and sexuality so often misguided and misused? Uh, Why do I get bullied at school? Why are we dealing with COVID? Why do I disobey God? Uh, Why do I struggle with the same sins and failures over and over again, even though I want to stop, but I can't stop? Why do we self-sabotage? Where does that anger come from inside of me? Uh, Why do even the great things in life still feel empty? All right, Genesis 3 answers all of these questions. Um, There's a book by an author named Cornelius Plantinga who uh, he he wrote, essentially, it's it's all about sin and rebellion against God and all the fracture that it has caused in our world. And the title of that book is Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And I want to use that phrase, the title of his book, to frame our time this morning because this is what we experience. Um, Behind all of those why questions that I just asked, At the root, there's this crying out that life is not the way it's supposed to be. And Genesis 3 speaks into that. 
All right, to set up our passage, Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 1 and 2 comes before it. Sin has not entered the story yet. Sin is not a part of the reality for Adam and Eve yet at this point in the Bible. Um, Adam and Eve were real historic people uh, living in perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with each other, perfect harmony with creation. And then this crafty serpent comes on the scene. We don't know where he comes from, but this crafty serpent comes on the scene and begins to dialogue with the woman. And he begins to question what God told her about not eating of that forbidden fruit. So he begins to question that. And the serpent then convinces the woman to eat the fruit. And, he, and she does. She gives some to her husband and he eats. They realize they're naked. They use leaves to cover themselves. Then our text picks up the story there. Verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And then down to verse 22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this text. Father, as we talk about our sin and brokenness and fallenness of all things, uh, would you meet us by your spirit? You know what we bring into this room this morning and we need your help. Uh, Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Give us a heart to believe. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Uh, So on Thanksgiving afternoon a few days ago, um, our whole family, including my mother, uh, went out front um, to our front yard to play soccer. And we had just finished a great meal. And if you were in town over the weekend, you know that the weather was just perfect on Thanksgiving afternoon. It was like just cool enough to feel like November. And it was bright and sunny. And we were experiencing a very rare moment in our family where Um, everyone in the family is happy doing the same thing at the same time. That's like once a decade where you get that moment. And so we went out front, we played this quick game of soccer, and it really did, uh, for a few moments, feel, it sort of felt like we were in a movie. It was just really delightful. And then, um, after I scored a goal, uh, in the joy and celebration of the moment, I started to run and do the airplane arm celebration move. And as I was running, doing airplane arms in my yard, 
uh, there were some acorns that had all settled in a low spot in our yard. And I airplaned right over the acorns and I hit them and my feet came out from under me and I hit the ground hard. And like the movie like celebration delightful moment was over. I mean, it was over. I was like standing up borderline ashamed that I was celebrating so much in front of my family about this goal. Uh, My back was hurting. Everyone was staring at me and I was just trying to like it was sort of like an out of body moment. I hit the ground so hard. Genesis 3 explains that perfectly. Uh, There was so much beauty together as a family, perfect weather, laughing, great holiday memory. And then there was pain and toil and frustration and the pile of acorns that took me down. Uh, Genesis 1 and 2, they tell us of a world that God created good and that he called good. Uh, The beauty, the glory, the joy, dignity, all the delight that you experience is because you live in a world that God created good. All the goodness we experience is from him. And the way in which he created our world is good. And we still get to experience glimpses of that goodness. But then Genesis 3, our text tells us of a world totally fractured by sin and rebellion. Um, And it explains why suffering and sin and death and sorrow, why all bad things happen. So the Bible actually gives us a category for the real beauty that we experience every day. Genesis 1 and 2. And the real brokenness and hurt and sin we experience every day. Genesis 3. And it still leaves room for hope. So just two quick headings I want to talk about from this passage. I want to look at our rebellion and God's response. Our rebellion, God's response. First, our rebellion. How does it happen? Uh, Our rebellion first happens because of lies. It happens because of lies. Just before where our passage picks up, the very beginning of Genesis 3. Let me read that for us. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was, one to be des- was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. All right, so sin, our rebellion against God, it begins with lies, with deception. All right, lies about what? Verse 1, the serpent lies about what God said. You may have heard that. The serpent says, did God actually say? Um, this is a real serpent. Satan, the devil, the evil one, has embodied this snake and has made it to speak to Eve, to the woman. And he very subtly, uh, very gently questions God and underhandedly deceives the woman. And the woman, she tries to remain true to what God commanded her, but then the serpent just straight up lies to her. He says, you will not surely die. Really, what's going to happen is you're going to become like God. God's holding back from you. In this moment. And so he lies to the woman 
about what God said and why God said it. Uh, Think about your own life. Um, Think about the times where you choose uh, your own way rather than choosing God's way. That's another way to think about sin, where if God has laid out the way this way, we choose to go this way. So think about specific moments for you. Um, At the core of this shift to go this way is this subtle question of, does God really know what's best for me? I don't think he does. And so in that moment, we choose our own way. Um, it's, it's thinking, I know God says that gossip is wrong, but it feels like I should say this thing right now. Or I know God says expressing my lust and sexuality outside of marriage is wrong, but I don't want to look away from that screen or I don't want to avoid this relationship. Uh, I know God says there's blessing and generosity, but I think I need to focus more on myself and what I need during this season. Um, At the heart of our sin is a subtle, deceptive voice that is some form of, I know God says, but I feel like this. That's at play behind it all. And so the man and the woman do the one thing that God told them not to do. They eat the fruit. And what's the immediate result? Verse 7 before our text says, The eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Okay, so the second thing we see about our rebellion here is that our rebellion leads to hiding. Our rebellion leads to hiding. The man and the woman, they see each other's nakedness, and suddenly they feel shame. So they hide. Uh, This is where shame and hiding enter the story. Prior to this, the man and the woman had zero shame or hiding in their relationship. Can you imagine a relationship with zero shame and hiding? It is so prevalent in all of our relationships. It's such a strong dynamic in friendships, with roommates, in marriage, in parenting, you name it. We feel shame about ourselves and so we hide from each other. And it totally messes up relationships. Verse 8, after hiding from each other, who do they hide from? They hide from God. And this is the greatest tragedy. We were not created to hide from God. We were created to be in intimate relationship with God. Running towards Him, not running away from Him. Uh, So in in my house growing up, we would always watch the movie A Christmas Story. Uh, It was one of our favorites growing up. About a young boy, uh, Ralphie and his quest to get the Red Ryder BB gun. Um, It's getting a bit dated at this point, but some of you may have seen this. Um, So there's a scene in this movie when he gets in a fight after school with the school bully, and his mother actually catches him mid-fight, immediately drags him home, and Ralphie is really upset. And so he goes into this cabinet in the kitchen, and he closes himself in in the cabinet, and he just cries and cries. And you come to find out that Ralphie has shut himself in the cabinet and he is crying. Why? Because he's afraid of what his dad will do when he gets home. And it's sort of like this sort of, um, uh, you know, homage to to fathers and sons and discipline and all this just in the life of a boy coming up. But you, You see this scene in this movie, you can't help but think sons are not meant to hide from their dads. And in our text... We, as God's children, were not meant to hide from God. 
This is the ultimate tragedy of what's happening here. And yet we still do this. We still try and hide. Uh, Because our sin and our shame is so ingrained in our DNA, um, we feel the need to be shielded and protected from God. Like we can't be with Him. We're going to be exposed for what we did. And sometimes this actually shows itself physically, where we actually physically cover our bodies And there can be this sense of feeling like more okay about who we are if we're covered up physically. If we we can hide from the gaze of others, maybe we can hide from the gaze of God. Sometimes it shows itself in busyness. Um, If we can keep our lives and our schedules so busy that we don't have time to sit with ourselves and actually deal with what's churning inside of us, uh, then it can feel like we're sort of hiding and protecting ourselves from having to deal with God. Adam and Eve hide from God, and they hide from each other because their real self had become a sinful, rebellious self before God. And this is us too. Third thing we see about our rebellion, it leads to blame. Our rebellion leads to blame. We see this in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, after God asks the man how he knew he was naked, the man says what? The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit. Of the tree, and I ate. So Adam blames Eve for giving him the fruit, but he also kind of blames God for giving him Eve. Whoever's fault it is, it's not Adam's fault. Verse 13 God asks Eve, What happened? She responds, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's the serpent's fault. All right, so right here, with the inception of sin in our world, comes blame shifting right from the beginning. Um, They don't even see their own disobedience in this. Um, What's ironic about this is that sin even affects how they respond to the first sin that they committed. They're blaming others. They blame God for it. This is our rebellion. It begins with lies and hiding and blame. How does God respond? Let's talk about God's response. All right, as Adam and Eve are hiding themselves in shame, and God, it says, is walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Uh, How does God approach them? He moves towards them with questions. Look at verse 9. Where are you? Verse 11. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree? Verse 13. What is this that you have done? Um, I don't know fully what to make of this. But it is worth noting That the God who created all things and who knows all things moves towards these two guilty, shame-ridden people with questions. He leans in by asking questions. He could have responded with immediate judgment, um, ended it all right there. And he would have been just and fair to do so. But he moves towards them with questions and he gives them the opportunity to answer and to confess in the context of a relationship. And in the rest of the passage, God gives out consequences to all the parties involved for their role in this. Um, one of our favorite current Christmas movies is Home Alone. Um, it's a movie that is based on one extreme consequence. Uh, if you think back to the movie Home Alone, uh, the McAllister house, beginning of the movie, uh, it's total chaos as a family prepares for their vacation to Paris for Christmas. And in this chaos, um, Kevin gets in an argument with his older brother, Buzz. Uh, And because of all the trouble that Kevin has been causing, uh, it sort of blows up after dinner. 
His mother gets to the end of herself and very dramatically gives Kevin the consequence of what? Having to go up to the third floor attic bedroom for the rest of the night. And so she takes him up to the top of the stairs. He spends the entire night. There's a power outage, hectic morning trying to get to the airport. Kevin gets left home alone and the story ensues. All because of the consequence having to go up to the attic room. Uh, There are extreme consequences in Genesis 3, and we are the recipients of some of these. And actually, the rest of the Bible is an unfolding of God's uh, redemption of these consequences that happen in this chapter. What are the consequences? There are some for the serpent, verses 14 and 15. The serpent becomes cursed by God. God says to him, on your belly you shall go, dust you shall eat. God says that the serpent will experience enmity with the woman. That is uh, hostility in their relationship or constant opposition. Um, And that there will be some kind of showdown between the offspring of the serpent and the offspring of the woman. More on that in a moment. So there are consequences for the serpent. There are consequences for the woman, not in the bulletin. This is uh, verse 16. God says that there will be pain in childbearing. Uh, So we begin to see physical ramifications of sin and rebellion in our world, that it causes physical pain. Uh, One such experience is pain in childbearing. Um, He also says that there will be um, fractured patterns of relating between man and woman in marriage. Uh, The marriage relationship becomes difficult and and the patterns of relating become disordered in this moment. Uh, For the man, verses 17 through 19, later in the passage, He says, cursed is the ground because of you. Uh, In pain, this man will eat of the ground. Uh, Work becomes cursed. He says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat eat bread. So work becomes cursed and difficult. He says later in the chapter that we will return to dust. So death enters the picture here. Uh, We were not created to die. Did you know that? God did not create us to die. Death is a product of sin and rebellion in our world. It's a consequence of sin. And then most tragic of all, we lose the very thing that we were made for. Communion with God. Uh, We were made for intimate, loving relationship with God. um, Relating to him perfectly as our creator and our father. Yet sin breaks this relationship and we lose communion with him. Romans 5, which we looked at for our assurance of grace this morning, it said that this one trespass leads to condemnation for all. That's what Romans 5, what's what Paul in Romans 5 is talking about. This one trespass right here leads to condemnation for all. Uh, The consequences of Genesis 3 are major. If you are a human, you have experienced these. Everything bad in our world comes from this part of the story. Genesis chapter 3. Uh, and this is really a major claim of the Bible. Um, that there is an answer and a reason for all the terrible things we experience. It is due to the sin of our first parents in Genesis 3. And so we, we don't have to try and pretend that life is not really hard. Um, we don't have to try to act like sad things are not sad. And um, we don't have to... to try and explain away evil. Um, We don't have to just really try to find the good in hard situations. 
Uh, we can call hard things hard because of Genesis 3. It is the foundational bad of the Bible and of our world. And the rest of the Bible, from Genesis 3 to the end, is a rescue story. And that rescue is actually promised in our passage. Let's talk about this promise. Look at verse 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. All right, Genesis 3.15, this is the first promise of the good news of Jesus. It is here, it is in seed form, but what this does is it sets an expectation for a Messiah, for a rescuer to come. A war begins here between the offspring of the serpent, Satan, the evil one, and the offspring of Eve. And in the culmination of this war, it says that the offspring of the woman will get his heel bruised. But what will happen to the offspring of the serpent? His head will be bruised. Uh, This is the first promise that Jesus will come and defeat evil. Right here in Genesis 3. 15, just three chapters into the Bible, this quickly after rebellion, God promises the good news of a coming rescuer. And that's where the story launches from there. Why do we need Christmas? Uh, We need Christmas because the effects of Genesis 3 are so bad and so all-encompassing that we cannot save ourselves. Our sin runs too deep. We are dead in our sin. There is too much fracture in us and too much fracture in our world. And Christmas is the guarantee that Jesus, the rescuer, will come. He entered into the story himself. He took on flesh, real flesh, like you and I have. He lived life in this hard world. He knows what it's like. And then he went to the cross To die to pay for the sins of the world that started right here in Genesis 3. And three days later, he rose again, conquering death and sin once and for all. Ascended back to the Father in heaven and has promised that he will come again. And Jesus will come again. And he will come and right all the wrongs of the world and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. And this morning, you can align yourself With this coming rescuer. Uh, Own the truth of Genesis 3 for yourself. Have you owned this truth for yourself? Own this truth of Genesis 3 and cry out that you need a rescuer from your sin. And this is a prayer that God loves to answer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you really did, in the midst of our sin and rebellion,